I pray that we just open up our hearts to whatever you call us to be and to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If we could have the kiddos head on downstairs, they've got some wonderful things for you. I think you guys got a wonderful review going on this week. Well, God's presence is wonderful, isn't it? We're going to be talking about getting on holy ground. It's kind of funny we sang those songs right when, uh, you know, um, I just want to stay in this atmosphere, but um, when Sandra came in and started playing and me and Rod were monkeying around with computers, it's just amazing how the presence of God was even being felt uh, in here at 9 o'clock in the morning. So God doesn't start at 10. He starts before we get up. And uh, so, um, but I, I do have a word for someone this morning. I wanted to give a give a word uh, of encouragement, of prophecy to uh, to Mr. Jim here. Jim, God's got a word for you, and uh, I want you to stand up. I want to anoint you this morning. God's going to bless you. You like being embarrassed like this, huh? See, what the enemy meant for evil, I will cause for good. And these hands of yours, Jim, they're holy hands. And you see, this heart that you have is a heart that's set apart. And you see, these feet that you have, these feet can tread into my holy presence. And you see this mind you have. It's the mind of Christ. And these ears that you have are ears that hear. And these eyes that you have are eyes to see the glory of the Lord. And the enemy has tried to crush you and crush your spirit. And have the last laugh. And I say to you, Jim, that I will have the last laugh. For I formed you and I know you. And I love you. Father, we're on holy ground right now. We're on holy ground right now, O oh Lord. And may we attune ourselves to what you would do. And we adjust our sights to you. you want to show up. Today we can be refreshed because of, not us, but because of you. We can be refreshed because you want to refresh us. We can be loved today because you love us. We can be encouraged today because you lift our spirits. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. In spite of the challenges, in spite of the odds, in spite of the setbacks, in spite of the sin, you love us. 
In spite of the discrepancies, Father, you love us. Help us to know you today, Father, better than we ever have. Help us to go and to grow from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, let all God's people said. Well, you know you're called today, right? You didn't know that. Turn to someone and say, you're called. You're called. Uh, Exodus chapter 3. Moses in the burning bush. I titled this message today, Where is Moses? Well, that was a good one. That was, we should have some more music in the background. Let's turn that up a little bit. Where is Moses? Where's Moses when we need him, right? We've thought of that today, and I, I title it that because many times in our life we go through things and we're looking for answers, we're looking for people, we're looking for situations to kind of set itself up and rest. And God, where's Moses when we need him? We want the, the guy to come in with a big staff and separate the sea and have the mountain experience, and, and, and it's really great to sit back and watch that happen, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. And, uh, but, but how many know it's really fun when you yourself get involved and God puts you in the place to hold the staff up and apart the Red Sea? That's a little scarier though, isn't it? Because it requires that we intertwine ourselves with God. It requires that we do what God tells us that we can do. That he's the God of impossibilities. Oz Guinness wrote this. He said, to be called is to hear God whisper three things to you in a hundred intimate ways. You are chosen, you are gifted, and you are special. Pretty neat that God says that about all of us, isn't it? You don't have to answer or belt it out or anything, but how many of you have had different things you've said about yourself other than that? To be called is to hear God whisper three things to you in a hundred intimate ways. You are chosen, you are gifted, and you are special. Why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. I mean, yeah, what do you say? Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look... God called him from the middle of the bush. I love it. I want you to focus on that, the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites now live. Everybody say, there's a lot of ice there. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Moa? Here am I to appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. But Moses protested. 
If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. And he told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. And then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the king of Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go so that you will not leave empty-handed. So every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Isn't it pretty amazing how God just moved in a very powerful way in that situation and speaks to Moses, and Moses starts to ask those questions All of us ask. But I want you to understand call like this. Call isn't something that we manage, okay? When God calls you to something, it's not something that will fit you within the context of your situation. When you get called to something, you're going to have to spread your wings out. You're going to have to mature. You're going to have to grow. It's kind of like an eagle. When a baby eagle is getting ready to fly, the mom doesn't sit there and put little uh, little blow-up stuff so they can have floaty swimmers when they're swimming or flying. I wish there was a flying fixer-helper thing. The mom literally pushes the baby out of the nest, and that baby has to fly and learn to fly. And so for all of us, the call of God is not manageable. It's going to be bigger than us. Os Guinness kind of put it like this. They call this the Jocelyn's folly. The net isn't mine, Roger, and the folly isn't mine. It's God's folly. Even in the old days, he never asked men to do what was reasonable. Men can do that for themselves. They can buy and sell and heal in government. But out of some deep place comes the command to do what makes no sense at all. To build a ship on dry land. To sit among the dunghills. To marry a whore. To set their son on the altar of sacrifice. Then, if men have faith, a new thing comes. Isn't it crazy how God calls men and women of faith to do some pretty crazy things? Turn to someone and say, God's called you to some crazy stuff. It is going to be scary. Don't think for a moment Moses wasn't scary. Kind of framing Moses' past. Moses rose to prominence. He was the Pharaoh's son. He was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter, all these kind of things. He had wonderful privilege. He had education. He had everything given to him. In a moment's notice, he literally, uh, seeing in a moment of passion, one of his fellow Hebrews killed or being hurt, he runs over there and kills a slave driver and runs for his life, scared for his life, now on the backside of a mountain, doing and attending to some sheep there. Pretty pretty crazy to go from talk about the glory to the gutter, and now he's kind of in a place of his life of wandering, wondering what's going on in my life. Now you might be like Moses right now. You might be in a situation where you go, man, what is God's call for my life? You know, for a believer, here's the beautiful thing for a believer, for you and I, our call is to serve God and whatever he ends up doing with us, it's a wonderful thing. Our call is a general call in the church. We're the body of Christ. The Bible tells us to care for each other. So there's really specific things that God instructs us in the Bible to do and to be as a believer in Christ. But I want to really dive into some of the uh, specifics for us in our personal lives. Who am I? Soren Kierkegaard wrote this, that life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. And how many of you, you look back in your life and you learned a whole lot? You're, you're walking forward, but really... You're looking back, and, and there is a very awesome moment. God, 
life is, life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. You look back on things and you start to see. And here's what starts to happen when you start to understand. With me, for ministry, for business, for my family and everything, when I look back at key moments where God just moved things at that moment in time, folks, I would have been like everyone else. God, why are we even here? What are we doing? What's going on with this? Why is this shaking here? And I remember when the ministry was first starting, we had just key things happening and falling apart and just wondering and wondering what was happening and me and my wife just praying together and seeking the Lord. It was a tough place to be. How many have been there before? Life is lived forward, but it's understood looking back. Moses now, when God speaks to us and when he presents a call to us, he says, hey Moses, going to do great things. I want you to appear to these people and I want you to say this. How are they going to believe me? Who am I? You know, he starts going forward even in more, the signs of the Lord's power. And, and chapter 4, we won't turn there, but Moses protests again. What if they don't believe me and what if they won't listen to me? God grabs our attention. God will speak to you in the normalcy of your day. Moses wasn't doing anything different. He was watching over his father-in-law's flocks of sheep. Folks, here's the thing where God's going to speak to you, say, where's God going to speak to me and how is that call going to happen? Folks, I think the call of God is so beautiful, it doesn't happen in stained glass places for the most part. God's call is going to happen when you're at work. You know that? God's call is going to happen when you're doing mundane tasks. God's call will happen in the middle of you just doing your most normal things. Somehow God shows up and he kind of hits you and speaks something in your life. I remember times where God called me. I remember a time in the, in the bathroom, in the shop, at work one time, back when I was even a teenager, where God just spoke to me and I just had to go. The only private place I had was just to go pray in the shop bathroom all by myself. I just started praying to the Lord and just thanking God for Him. That bathroom that was dirty and yucky all of a sudden became the glory of God. God's not confined to space for you and me. You say, man, how can God make a difference in me right now where I'm at? Allow the presence of God to do things, but allow God to grab your attention. It's interesting that when God was doing the display of his glory, that fire was representation of the Shekinah glory of God, this bush, and somehow Moses looks, and it said that the fire was in the bush. He looks basically inside of it. God was in there. God's in the deep things, and he's going in there, and he sees the glory of God, this fire. And it says when God finally got Moses' attention, he spoke to him. You know, isn't it of interest for us? Does God got our attention? Does he have our attention? Our undivided attention. And that's a hard thing for many of us many times is to have that undivided attention that we're, God has to use things. And that's where I do believe this. God will use horrible events in our life to grab our attention. He'll use things that will take us a little off the path that we know, and we'll start to go over here, and it kind of forces us, our circumstances forces us to start asking questions. Our circumstances force us to start looking at things, and Moses starts walking around, and he sees the bush. And it says, when God saw that he had his attention, he spoke right in that moment. When is God going to speak to you and I? When he has our attention. Here's the hard part for us, and I think it's important for us when God wants to get our attention to have a discipline of silence. And I've preached this a million times over, but have some times and space in your life where you have silence. I don't know, you know, we say in church or when we're at the theater or whatever, to silence your phone, right? Have you ever been in a movie theater and someone's messing with their phone or on the phone? It's the most annoying thing in the world, isn't it? Imagine how annoying it is to God with us. When, when God's trying to get our attention and we're so casual with things with God and we're not allowing for seasons of silence in our life. A writer said this, The discipline of silence is a voluntary and temporary absence from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read, write, and pray, and so on. Though there is no outward speaking, there are internal dialogues with self and God. This can be called outward silence. Other times, silence is maintained not only outwardly, but inwardly, so that God's voice may be heard more clearly. 
Think of silence and solitude as being complementary. Without silence and solitude, we become shallow. Silence and solitude are usually found together, but the Western culture conditions us to be comfortable with noise and crowds, not with silence and solitude. You know, we live in a culture that it's not comfortable with silence, is it? You know how you can tell you're really close to someone or intimate with someone? is you don't always have to be talking. Some of us, we just talk because we're uncomfortable, don't we? I'm that way. If I'm uncomfortable, I'll just talk more. I'll talk, talk. You know, I'll just talk, talk, talk. How's it going? Because I'm trying to find something because I don't want to have that awkward, that two-minute lull, we call it, right? With God, silence is okay. I heard one pastor say it like this. He said, you know what? Maybe God speaks, and maybe God doesn't. But he's still God. I read that and heard that, and I said, you know, that's really profound because all that I need in my life is the presence of God. That's all I need. So if God chooses to say, hey, Steve, do this, this, or this, or Steve, I want you to come over here and do this, it doesn't matter. It, it just may be something where, man, it's just it feels good to just be in the presence of the Lord. What did God say or do? I don't know. It just felt great. He, I was with him, and he's with me. And that's where we need to get in our life, the disciplines. The discipline of silence is voluntary and temporary. Uh, it's, the, it's from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. You say, man, I want to hear from God, for him to grab your attention. I challenge you this week to have times in your life, not just when you go to bed, but when your phone goes away. It's quiet in the church today. Let's get rid of the phone. Put it somewhere else. Put it away from you. Get, get, it, get away from it. Somehow, someday, we're going to have to get back to silence and say, you know what, even getting into the presence of God and practicing the presence of God, we have so many noises. I'll even have the computer on and I'll be taking notes and stuff. And it's even so hard there because emails come through. Bing! 10% off at Payless. What do I care? Lord, just a minute, there's a great BOGO here. I'm going to hit this. <laughs> I mean, that's how we get with God. We are so flippant in our, in our dialogue with God that, man, we will give up the riches of heaven to chase after these temporary things. I am as guilty as the next one. But I promise you that your life will continue. And the world of socialism, and the world of socialism, the social ideas that we have, the world of all the things, our identities with people, the world will continue. I remember not too long ago, when I would go to work, I didn't even have a cell phone. I mean, think of that. I mean, think of those ideas where it was not too long ago where it was okay if someone communicated and left a message for five or six or even seven hours on your answering machine that had a little tape. Remember those? And you would just check your messages when you got home. Silence is really hard. But if God's going to grab our attention, we have to value what it is that God might say and what he might not say. And if you don't put a value on the voice of God, and the voice of God is as important to you as all your little friends over here, God will never be a treasure to you. God has got to grab our attention. God is more important than every form of communication you and I have. He's more important. He's got to be that. And so we have to put precedence. And if you want to figure out who you are in God, if you want to, you're asking the question, who am I anyways? What's going on with my life? You can find it and you can find favor with God when you open yourselves to the possibilities of burning bushes in your life. God longs to speak to you, and here's what God's going to do. He's going to draw you and I to a place to grab your attention and my attention. He's going to take you there. Because He loves you and He wants to talk to you. We start to wrestle with who we are. Who we are is the glory of God longs to be re revealed in and through you. Kyle Eidemann writes, Because He is God, and God chooses weakness as the best setting to display His strength, Weakness creates the space that God fills with his strength. Turn real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We all want to be strong today, don't we? Yes. 
I want to tell you there's something very powerful about being weak. And what I mean by the word weak there, I mean humble. You'll never find God using men and women in the Bible who have everything put together. You know that? You'll never find a perfect candidate in the Bible. In fact, these candidates in the Bible from the world standards would not be candidates at all. They would have been fired from the job interview process. And Moses would have been one of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. This boasting will do no good. But I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about the visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is even allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about what? What was that? Weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Moses gets to a place in his life now. Can you imagine, by the way, if today's... Man, that vision that Paul had, we would have had teaching videos and tapes. We would have had... It would have been an Amazon bestseller. The vision would have been, you know, uh, out there. We would have gone on tour. It would have, they would have put a, a documentary about this movie. And Paul says, I don't even want to focus on that. Do you know what I'm going to focus on? My weaknesses. Because in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. See, we're always trying to tune up things and fix things, which, folks, I'm telling you, you want to obviously improve in life. But I want to tell you that those weaknesses, those thorns in your side, whatever they may be, as Paul wrestled with it and struggled with it, those thorns in your side, those weaknesses, those are the things that keep drawing you back to grace and keep drawing you back to saying, God, I need your strength in this moment. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody have a thorn in your side today? Kyle Eilman writes, God works around our weaknesses. Moses was faced with his greatest friend, and now he was faced with his greatest enemy. In this moment, he wasn't scared of the Pharaoh. You know who Moses was scared of? Moses was scared of himself. You know, some of us, we could have the biggest mountains lying in front of us, and those things aren't even the things that scare us. The, 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 the thing that really scares us is the idea that, man, God, you want to work through me? You want to do things in my life? You, you, you're asking me to free all the Hebrew people and to speak before the king of Egypt, and you're telling me that there is, that's possible? I've got speech problems. I can't do it. I've got all this past here. What's going on, God? Who am I? What am I supposed to say? And all sorts of these questions come out. He wasn't concerned about the king of Pharaoh. He was concerned about himself. The question for you and I, then, isn't who am I? But what we need to figure out is who is God? The issue isn't who you are or all your problems. The question becomes, do you trust that God is bigger than all the problems? Do you trust that God is able to, in spite of all the weaknesses, that God's strength can come through in that and do a wonderful work in you? The question isn't who you are. The question is, who is God? And it becomes a wonderful thing. Moses, by the way, would be taught his teaching. He had wonderful education learned all the great things of the culture of the day. The Egyptian was the highest culture at the time. He had the most prestigious education there could be, and yet in this moment, none of that education would help him one bit. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Let's turn back there. 
He says, well, what do I do? What do I say? Some of you are in the same kind of scenario in your life with people. God, what do I do? And what do I say to this person? And God will give you the words to speak. We all have the same conditions and problems that even Moses was presented with. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent you to me, they will ask me, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And here God was teaching him what to say in that moment. God himself will show himself in and through you. You don't have to turn there, but John 6.45 says this in the New Testament, that for all of us where we're at, guess who teaches us? We are taught by God himself. When you open your Bible up and begin to crack open the Word of God, you know, it's great how testaments, because I just love the Holy Spirit, I love talking to him. You know, he's the advocate. Do you know the Holy Spirit teaches us? He convicts us. Do you know when you're opening the Word of God and going over the Scripture as His Word becomes alive and active to you, you're being taught by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing when you open your mind to the possibility that you're being taught by God Himself. It's pretty cool, isn't it? The best teacher there ever was. It's amazing that the Lord here tells you what to say and what to do. God tells Him this. Tell Him I sent you. You know, in those moments, it's so important for us to be absolutely His. You and I will find that being filled with God's Spirit for our situations is more than enough. God is more than enough. And I want to tell you for the wall you're facing today, God's enough. God's enough. The finances, doesn't matter to God. It's God's enough. The, the failures and the relationships, God's enough. For the setbacks, all of it, God is more than enough because if God is for us, who could be against us? G.K. Chesterton wrote this. I'd never heard this one before. He said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. And I thought about our commitments to God and our Western Christianity and our Western faith. We can say, God, I want this and I want that, but, but God has got to become enough for us. And there's two ways that you get, uh, that, that two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is desire less and less. Do you know, your desires actually will change. What you'll actually do is you'll say, God, I want more and more of you, and I want less and less of this. God, money doesn't solve problems. I've chased after that. God, relationships, that doesn't fix it. God, God, you're more than enough for this. God, this situation over here and this, and moving all these things and all these structures, you start to say, I, my desire for those things is less, and my desire for wanting to be filled with God is more and more and more. God must be enough. Folks, I challenge you today, wrap yourself in his love. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pause from all you're doing and achieving and making and memorizing and just be absolutely his. I was the other night doing stuff behind the sets for Kelsey's little play. She actually had to leave early. We got a bunch of people here at the church. Anita's done costumes, all the crazy stuff. We'll give Anita a big hand at that one. But uh, all these different people are involved with this production. And I was behind the scenes pushing these props every night. And there was just one time where I was moving this big part of the castle, and it was just neat. I hadn't been so busy. You know how you ever get so busy you even forget to talk to God? And I just sat there, and I just said, right as I was pushing on say, I said, Lord, I love you. Nothing more, nothing less. I love you. You know, becoming absolutely God, or becoming absolutely God's possession and giving your life to him, it's not that hard. You think about this, you say, well, yeah, it is, it's really tough. Well, I've got a ring on my finger and I'm married, I'm completely my wife's. It really wasn't hard for me to get married to Anne. That really wasn't, should we, yeah, we're getting, absolutely. Fell in love with her from day one. That wasn't hard. I think our perception needs to completely change off these religious bins we get into. And we need to get back into a relationship and treat God like a love affair and say, God, I want to fall desperately in love with you. This isn't hard. This is the best choice of my life. You know what hard is? Living your life in the grind and living for yourself and doing bum stuff every day. That's hard. How many live their life 
without Christ, it was pretty stinky, wasn't it? Oh, good, only one person in here. How many live your life without Christ? It was pretty crummy. It's a horrible day. All this Christianity is so hard. It's the best thing in the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not drab. You know why the world isn't attracted to so often? It's because we still look like we looked before we came to Christ. Moses changed because he got into the presence of God and stumbled into this burning bush and he got his attention and he realized that there was something more to this. And you, dear believer, if you're walking around humdrum with your hands in your pants with a bag of change twirling that like the church guy back in the day during worship or in the presence of God, Oh, when can I sit down? Oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so tired. As you stand for hours to get into the newest, coolest restaurant. This loving God is not hard. The hard part is getting beyond ourselves. The hard part is making our life open to the possibility that God might want more for my life, that God would want to use me, that God would want to go and change the world, maybe through the voice that He gives to me. That's the hard part. God must be enough, though. It can't be God and this. God must be all. God has everything or nothing at all. I don't share my wife, my bride, with other trophies. I have given myself to my wife. And just as in marriage, we give ourselves to each other, the two become one flesh, we are unified with Christ, and there is absolutely no separation. But God must be enough. Turn to someone and we can say, ask him if God's enough. Stop where you're at right now. I challenge you and be consumed by Him. Make a moment with Him. You know, you can do that. You can make a moment with Him. We all got our cameras. I challenge you to turn your camera off selfie mode onto God mode. You know, you can flip the camera around onto yourself, and we're really good at selfies, a selfie this. And what are we doing? I realize that's the coolest kind of thing. I remember back in the day when we would take pictures of ourselves, which you'd have to do, is you'd set the camera over here, turn it on a timer. Remember those days? You're like, okay, everyone. Smile, Daddy! No, no, smile! Oh, let's do it again. We get the timer going. Just a minute, just a minute. Okay, we got it. It's the craziest thing. I challenge you right now with your camera to take the time, not to take pictures of you, but to take a picture of God. And be astounded by what he's done and what he's doing. And you know what the Bible tells us? You know, say, well, Pastor, practically, how can I attune myself to God? Nature has a very powerful way of displaying the glory of God. I was walking again last night in the side. And I'm telling you, I always turn around. I don't know why, but I turn around and I look up in the sky. And the little dipper is still there, folks. You know the thought that got in my head is that little dipper is going to be there long after I'm off this There's the big dipper, there's the little dipper, there's Jupiter. Look at Jupiter, how bright that is. Take your camera off yourself. Flip it, touch that little button and get it back out there. Take a picture of the wonder of God because the nature displays God. The sunrise, the sunset, whatever, grass, if you've only got a little patch of grass outside, say, pet it and say, Lord, thanks for the grass this morning. You can magnify God in the moments of your life that don't seem too energizing, and you can be energized, but you've got to switch the mode off your camera to selfie mode back onto God mode, and it will change your life forever. And it's just a quick adjustment God says this, by the way, those plans, those weren't Moses' plans. Some of us, we get confused when God calls us to something. We think that they become our plans. They're never your plans. So it really doesn't matter whether they fail or succeed, right? 
You know, when I pray for people and stuff, pray for healing or things, people are saying, aren't you concerned if they don't get healed? This isn't up to me. This is up to God. What are we doing? We can't manipulate this stuff. I can only do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm supposed to pray, pray the prayer of faith, anoint people, and God will take the rest. Because, you know what, that's what the eye of faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, not the opposite. So I leave it in God's hands. And so you're called. You've got to leave it in God's hands. If God called you to it and you don't feel equipped, God will equip you because he's called you to it. He says, so I've come down to deliver him. He didn't say, Moses, you've come down to deliver him. I know you're frustrated with those guys. I know why you killed them and your motive. And I know when that passionate moment you were defending those Hebrews. I know it. He didn't say that. He said, I have seen their pain and their suffering, and I am coming down there to deliver them. Folks, you know what? When you step into the scene, when you accept your call at your home, and there's darkness going on in there, and you see things going on, you can become the conduit right there, and you can say, God, I'm going to be a conduit, and I want your voice to speak through me. I want your heart to bleed through mine. I want to become used of you in the middle of my situation. You don't have to beg. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to go grab some special person that knows how to pray better than you. You can be the conduit. I've come down to deliver him. He says this, what's in your hand? Every one of us has got something in our hand. I want you to know that he had that little staff. He shows later on in the future, in that, in that, uh, in that verse, he asks Moses, he says, Moses, he says, well, how will they confirm it? What will happen? And he says, throw this staff down and I'll turn it into a snake. God starts using very practical, common things that we use. Moses was with that staff every day. And now all of a sudden, God's going to turn that staff into a snake. He's going to use that for his glory. God will use every common thing in your life. But you can't put the gifts that God's given you on the shelf. Many of us have got gifts, and they're just sitting on the shelf collecting things. Oh, that was really neat. I used that gift to... Oh, 15 years ago, it's a different time and place now. No, that gift is supposed to be, that was given by God. It's to be used every time and every place you have. That's how come for me, the gift for me is I do have the gift of the big mouth, I call it. I, I, can, I, I speak. I'm, not, I'm unapologetic of it. And I will use it wherever I go. And, and it's funny, people say, wouldn't you be scared to preach in front of tons and tons of people? No, I would, I would run up onto the stage. It's the greatest, greatest thing, but God's giving me a gift for that. What's the gifts that God's given to you? Kyle Eidemann writes, most of us would like to have the experience of serving God in some significant way. We've probably even had some ideas about what that would be. He goes on to write this, and this is what I want you guys to write down. He wants you to complete this sentence. And this is important because God will give you the desires of your heart. This is our little assignment class. Here we go. I want you to write this. If you get anything from this message, this is what I want you to get. And it's a statement. Kyle Eidemann says this, More than anything, I want God to use me to dot, dot, dot. More than anything, I want God to use me to. And by the way, don't come up with some false humility thing. I just want to be a servant for the Lord. I want you to get a little bit more specific because you've got some challenges. And the challenge for the, for the Hebrews was this. They were in slavery and they were in bondage and they needed to deliver. They didn't need to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. They needed to get out of it. And for you, the gifts that God has given you, the calling, the place and time where you're at, the burdens that are on your life right now, more than anything, I want God to use me to what? What is it? Let me ask you this in your gifts. Do you feel like you're qualified or do you feel like you have what it takes? And I probably, the answer says is no. Moses didn't feel like he had what it took and probably you won't either. What's in your hand today? It might be a simple staff. It might be a simple prayer. It's funny that prayer testimony that Rod showed. It was a, a lady in the middle of the night praying, Lord, surround him with a cloud. God might use you to pray a miracle into someone's life. 
God might use you financially to bless someone's life, to say, you know what, I want to be used. God, is there something financially? God, I have all this money. I have this freedom now. Now, what do you want me to do with it? I love the testimony of my friend Brad, who he said, Steve, he said, God blessed me with favor, with money financially. I just want to use it for his glory. I just want to start blessing people, and he'll just find ways to bless people. Maybe somebody is a friend right now, and you need to be that person right now to both stand in the gap. I don't know what it is. But maybe those gifts have been shelved and they're collecting dust. That staff was given you to, to you to show God's glory off. By the way, your testimony is a fingerprint of God marking your life. By the way, this call is not a job. It's not a vocation. Do you know that in the New Testament there's nothing recorded in the New Testament of pastors getting paid professionally? Because we always talk about call. Well, I'm not a pastor or a minister, so I can't be used. We have that sacredness, that special. I'm just little me. And I was explaining to a guy behind the stage how it's important that with God, there's no separation of sacred and secular. None. Jesus' call can be expressed in one verse. And it's Mark 2.17. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment. Sandra, if you want to come up and play. Maybe today the calling for you is to be a friend to a sinner. And maybe you're in a dark place and you're surrounded around a lot of people who don't share that common call that you know Christ. And God wants you to bring that light to a dark world. And maybe you've been frustrated with that, but God sets you up right now. And I want you to think of that for a moment, the power, how powerful that was. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. When Christ came, he knew what his call was. Yes, it was powerful because there was miracles displayed. People were healed and delivered from demons. But all of that was the biggest showpiece that he staged, which was salvation to all. That none should perish. I want you to know today there's an awesome thing that says this. Called means this, to invite one to something, to participate in it, to enjoy it. Today, if you don't know Christ and His power, that you can have salvation. And Christ is giving you salvation. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know you can have Him. You can have the fellowship. You can be invited to the greatest time and the greatest freedoms of your life. But if you don't know of a defining moment when that change was made, now is the time to make that change. Many are called, few are chosen. And the only reason Jesus is holding off coming back right now is because he just wants that one more sinner coming to Christ. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand today and say, I accept the call of God for my life if you don't know him today. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Why don't we pray this together, all of us. Dear Jesus, I thank you for calling me, for inviting me. Thank you, God, that you call me a friend. I ask you into my heart. I ask you into my life. Take over everything. I thank you, God, for this new day and how you're going to use me. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, maybe you say, you know what, like Moses, I've been wandering. I've been doing my thing. And now you find yourself on a mountain somewhere and God is speaking to you. Maybe he's been speaking to you right at the beginning of service. Maybe it was in the middle, wherever it was. Maybe he was speaking to you in the middle of the week about stuff. And he's calling you out and saying, I want to use you. 
I've seen the pain, I've seen the suffering, and now it's time for me to break through in your life. And maybe your response has been over and over again. It's great because God is patient, 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 and he's long-suffering. And he loves you, but he is a gentleman. And he does to the believer, stand at the door of your heart and he knocks. And he's been knocking an awful lot about something. And now it's the time. And I'm responding to that right now, Lord. If that's you, you say, I'm responding to that call for my life. God is inviting you to display his power in a wonderful, wonderful way. If that's you today, God is speaking. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dear believers, let's pray this together. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to me. I choose to listen now and pay attention. I allow you to use me how you want to use me. And I will say what it is you want me to say. I will do what it is that you want me to do. I'm open to the possibilities. Thanks for the call, God. Thanks for speaking to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, God's a big God, and he's calling us to a lot of big things. Even this little church, God is doing some pretty pretty amazing things. I challenge you this week, though, to adjust to that call and uh, open up your idea or your mind to those ideas that God has for you. I, I love you very, very much. And if there's anything you want to pray with, maybe there's someone you want to grab here before you leave and say, hey, man, God's speaking to me about this. Don't. Don't just be flippant about it, but allow God to really, to really speak to you and use you in that moment. But I love you very much. Have a great, great week. God bless you.